Easter is always a special time. I have incredible memories just as a family growing up. My mom celebrated Easter in incredible and extravagant ways, and it was always such a joy. But I realized that our whole life, the 364 other days of the year, don't always reflect that joy. And so the Easter message, this idea of rise and shine, is incredibly practical for us. Because it is the way that we get to exist in this world by the invitation, the gracious invitation of God that loves you so much. I've shared this already. When I was growing up, it was my dad's job to wake us up on Sunday mornings. For the regular work week, he usually was out the door before some of us came stumbling out of bed but on Sundays, that was his task. So while mom was off getting ready, he would get up, get himself ready, and then he would burst into our rooms with a loud rise and shine. Wake up, sleepyheads. And we'd come stumbling out of bed, and the dad would go cook the only breakfast that he knew how to cook, and that was microwave pecan twirls. <laughs> but we knew it was Sunday. And there's something about that call to rise and shine, wake up, become alert, be aware of the reality that you now exist in. That is what the Easter message is all about. And that's not my words. That comes from a man named the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Apostle Paul, you probably at least heard his reference, but you may not exactly know how he fits into the larger story. The Apostle Paul was an anti-Christian at the beginning. So if you're here today because you're just participating in what your family does, but you're full of some skepticism, you're full of doubt, or you've got a lot of questions uh, about the Christian faith, and you're not really sure about church people, and so you're kind of uncomfortable being in a room full of church church people, Paul's your guy. Because Paul didn't like the church to begin with either. Until he met face to face the risen Lord Jesus. And when you come face to face with the risen Lord Jesus, it has a certain way of reorienting your entire life. And so Paul's life goes from one that he was persecuting and actually in opposition to the church to this movement that was taking root in the first century, to one that he goes then, spends the rest of his life at great cost, at great um, sacrifice, going around the known world of the time, preaching this message and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is risen. And so he plants churches. And we've been in a study in a letter that he wrote to one of these churches, we know the letters, 1 Thessalonians, that simply means that it was one of two letters that we're aware of to a city where Christians were gathering called Thessalonica. And you can actually go visit Thessalonica today. Modern Thessalonica is built on the ancient ruins of, or the ruins of ancient Thessalonica. And this was a church that when Paul showed up there and he preached the message this message that this Jewish rabbi is actually the son of God, 
and he experienced death, and now he is alive forever to never experience death again. And there is a way that you can now connect to God through him. This message had radical power, was radically different than anything that was being proclaimed at the time. And in this city, Christians, or Jewish and pagan um, people, fell in love with this message and became followers of Jesus for Christians. And it happened very quickly. But then they experienced some persecution. That the, It caught on so fast that the powers that be, those that felt like their livelihood was going to be threatened, those that felt like their income was going to be threatened, their social structure was going to be threatened, they rallied against them. They started to persecute this group. And then Paul and his companions had to flee, but the church stood. And then Paul writes back a letter to him because he hears how they're thriving as disciples, which are learners, followers of Jesus, and he wants to encourage them. And so in this letter, he's been encouraging them each and every step of the way. But in chapter 4 and chapter 5, he begins his most powerful section of encouragement because he's going to talk to them about how to live as people that rise and shine and what that means for us. And so what I want to do is I'm going to walk us through this part and I'm actually going to start out of order, if that's okay. I'm going to start in chapter 5 and read that. So if you have your scripture journals, I want you to go find chapter 5. One of our, if you're with one of our student Bibles, our youth group has their own journaling Bibles and we really love and encourage that. You're going to find it in that Bible on page 1497. In the scripture journals on page 16, or if you want to open up an app, you're more than welcome to do that as well. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read um, at least parts of it, uh, 1 through round verse 13. But I want you to understand, I want you to pay attention to what Paul's trying to do, because he's going to tell us why this rise and shine, why Easter morning matters. See, Easter morning is far more than simply putting on some nice clothes and being with a group of people and having some nice memories made. That's powerful. That's definitely a good thing, but Easter morning has more power than that. So here's what Paul's going to remind us with. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, I'm going to read this. Now, Concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, he's talking about this day when Jesus is going to return. And he's talking about the hope they have. He's going, he's going it's, it's going to come unexpected. There's, there's no way, you're not going to predict it. So, Whatever biblical prophecy that you think that somebody else can figure out there, Scripture tells us again and again and again that we do not know. It will come when we do not expect it. Now, we can always pray for it. We can always hope for it, but it's just going to come. In fact, he goes on to say this. While people are saying there is peace and security... Then sudden destruction will come up on them as labor pains come up on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
Now, when he says that, there is peace and security. What Paul is doing is he is quoting a propaganda statement from the Roman Empire. If you've heard of the Pax Romana, that's the Roman peace, there is this idea that wherever Rome went, they brought a sense of peace and stability and control into people's lives. Now, in many ways, this was very, very positive. But what he's challenging then is everybody's falling back into this so-called security, so-called peace that's guaranteed, supposedly, by the Roman Empire. And he's telling him, don't buy into that because that is fleeting. That will not stand up on the final day. We experience collectively, at least in this country and perhaps around the world, some sense of this when the pandemic came our direction. Because suddenly all the cues, all the signs, all the places where we were so comfortable and so secure were suddenly upended. And for some of us, it doesn't seem like we've ever kind of gotten back to that yet, right? So Paul is saying, do not base your ultimate peace and security into anything in this world. Because like a thief in the night, it will come and steal. It will rob you of your joy, rob you of your hope, rob you of your confidence. Then he goes on. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers... For that day to surprise you like a thief. And then he tells us who we are. This describes anyone that has put their faith, their hope, their trust, their confidence into Jesus. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now, Paul did not understand zombies. But this is kind of a zombie reference, okay? You have an awareness. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, there is an awareness of what reality is. We're not simply the walking dead. We're not simply going through motions. You're children of the day. You're children of the light. It's time to, Paul would say, rise and shine. It's time to live this way out, knowing full well that, yep, there may be some struggles around you, but there's a new reality. And this is what he's encouraging them to do. goes on. Pick it up in verse 8. For God is not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's going to restate the gospel. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or we're asleep. Now hold on to that word because we're going to come back to that in a second. We might live with him. And then he ends this passage, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the second time Paul's going to encourage us to build one another up, encourage us with these words. And what he's doing is he's saying, this day that we're talking about is coming. And he's describing, and here's where we're about to go, in chapter 4, he describes the final Easter day. He describes what the next Easter day, when he finally comes, what that's going to be like. And he's saying, there's where you put your hope. There's where you put your confidence. And so if you would, we're going to follow Paul's encouragement, his teaching, 
And so, using the words that Paul has for us, we're going to encourage one another with these words. So if you would, back up now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 13. And this, I will be reading major portions of this because this is so good, such good news. So Paul, trying to encourage them, and them understanding or understand that they are under persecution, so life is not easy for them. They are struggling. This is not a feel-good letter written from a man in the lap of luxury because he got some kind of publishing deal. Paul is writing this from prison to them, wanting them to be encouraged, and they're struggling. But he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. And then he has this statement again. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul is laying out this idea of hope. So I'm going to give you a broad concept, and then I'm going to tease it out in three different, three different ways. Because, remember, Paul is saying, do not put your peace and security anywhere else. Don't trust any other organization, any other entity, any other person, any other financial status, any other way of accumulating wealth. Whatever it is that you're finding your security in, Paul would say, here's where you find your security. Here's where it cannot be shaken or stolen from you. And so the first thing I would have you do is, we're talking about in this series that we've been in, that everyday disciples, that ordinary people, like you, like me, can follow Jesus and we can have this extraordinary life. And so the, the message that I want you to walk away with today, if you don't hear anything else, this is from Paul. Everyday disciples live in Easter hope every day. Paul is letting us know that Easter hope, Easter is not just a day. Easter is a way to live. That's what Paul says when he says, I want you awake to understand this reality. Don't become numb. Don't become uh, desensitized to this. Wake up into this. Be alert with this. Because there's an Easter hope that doesn't affect you just one day a year, but every single morning you can wake up with this Easter hope because of what Jesus has done. And here's where Paul's going to teach us. So, first thing that I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to look. Look with me in verse um, 
Oh, let's go back to verse uh, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Paul's going to continue to hammer this again and again and again. Now, let me be clear on the promise that he's making here. He is not saying that Christians will never struggle. He's not saying if you follow Jesus, you will never get sick. He's not saying that if you follow Jesus, suddenly your life gets really comfortable and successful. See, I have had to do far too many funerals where we prayed long and hard for a beloved sister or brother that believed deeply in Jesus, and even though we prayed, we still had a funeral. So you could be left with the question, where was God? Where's all this happiness that we're supposed to have? God never promises happiness. Remember, Paul doesn't say, find your happiness here. He he says, find your peace and your security here, and it's on a bedrock. And so the promise is not the disciples of Jesus will never grieve. But disciples of Jesus and disciples of follower, but we grieve with hope. We can know hope. And that's a different reality. This is why it is not uncommon for me to say at one of the funerals, in fact, we've had several funerals here even recently, some dearly beloved members of this, of this church. And it was with all confidence I could say at the funeral that today is bitter sweet. It's bitter because we do grieve. And to pretend like we don't grieve would be a, would be a falsehood. But we do grieve, but we grieve with hope because we know the tomb is empty. And what we know then is that it's not a goodbye. See, we don't grieve with despair. See, that's what the world does. The world grieves with despair because when it comes up to a funeral, that's the end. That's the goodbye. For those in Jesus, the Easter hope that we get to live in is that that goodbye is transformed into a see you soon. See you again. That's the hope that comes. That's the Easter hope that we get to experience. The other thing that I want to pay attention to is those that say, notice the word asleep there. And if you'll walk through this passage, you'll be amazed at how many times he says asleep. And he keeps talking about when you fall asleep, when you fall asleep, or those that have fallen asleep. You may not be aware, but in your New Testament, the predominant word for the idea of death, for those that are in Christ, is the word sleep. So he is taking on death in all every turn. So there's one sense of death that when somebody that I love fall, dies, I experience some grief. That's true, but I experience grief with hope. Now the other part of death is not when somebody else dies, but when I face or I consider and think about my own death. I had not considered my own death till one year when I was in college, one day when I was in college. 
And at the randomest time, I'd never had a panic attack before. But me and some buddies had gone to a movie, you know, some action flick. And we're sitting in the movie. And in fact, I think this is like back in the days when they had dollar theaters. You know, this is before streaming. And we're watching this action flick. And at some point, the characters in the action flick, they're trapped. And they're talking about the possibility of them dying. Out of the blue, something hit me. And it just realized that I'm going to die someday. I, my heart sped up. My hands got sweaty. I thought I was losing it. Because the reality of not somebody else's death, not a loved one's death, but my own death was suddenly just confronting me right in the face. And I had to spend some time later that evening just sort of kind of backing back out of that and wrestling with that. But I've never forgotten that moment because ever since then, I've lived a sense of, yes, today I am one day closer to my death whenever that's going to be. The struggle is that what Paul says again and again and again, he goes, for those in Christ, it's not death, it's falling asleep. This is true all throughout Scripture. In fact, you may be familiar with the story where Jesus goes to the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, and on the way he says, let's head there, because he gets word from, from the sisters that, that Lazarus has passed away. And he tells his disciples, he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, let's go wake him up. And their first thought is, if he's asleep, have somebody nudge him, we're good. You know, let his alarm go off. And finally it says, no, no, you don't understand, he's died. But from God's perspective, understand this, death is no more permanent than sleep. So as a believer, disciples do not need to fear death. You don't need to fear death any more than you fear a nap. Who fears a nap here? Maybe up to about the age eight. But I tell you, from then on, if you can get a nap, you get it, right? I've never feared a nap since the age of eight. That's what Paul is... It, it sounds silly when we hear it the first time, right? That's what Paul's telling us. That you have, do not need to fear your own death for those that are in Christ any more than you fear a nap. It is the reason we call it rest in peace. Now, Scripture gives us Lots of different images of what this could be. For some, it could be what, what maybe some refer to as soul sleep, that you are mentally or, or consciously asleep until the day of Jesus' coming. Or maybe it's more like when the thief on the cross, when Jesus looks at the one on the cross that says, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and just says, today you will be with me in paradise. Maybe it's a conscious reality, or maybe it's an unconscious. Scripture isn't totally clear on that. But what, is, what Scripture is absolutely clear on is you don't have to fear it. This is why Paul says, I wrestle with this. For me to die is gain. For me to die is to go be with Christ. And he has no fear. And you don't have to fear your own death either. 
because Jesus walked out of a tomb on that first Easter morning and he conquered death. The first Easter morning, Jesus is laid in a borrowed, or the first Easter morning, he's risen from a borrowed tomb. And what strikes me so incredible about that first Easter morning is there was nobody present to witness it. The single greatest moment in all of history, and nobody witnesses that moment. When a stone is moved and the dead, lifeless body of Jesus breathes again and walks out, never to see a tomb again. He borrowed the tomb. And in that moment, Jesus conquers death. And that's the one thing that you and I have no idea how to conquer, right? I mean, we can try to stay healthy and fit, and some of you do a really good job at it. And it may delay, but it doesn't defeat death. But Jesus has. See, if you look at the scoreboard of death, through all of history, death has failed to pitch a perfect game. Because there's one that he can't claim. But the truth is, there's going to be more that he can't claim. And that's what the final Easter is going to be about. Because even though we still grieve and we experience funerals, and I realize that every time I do a funeral, there's two preachers in the room. There's what I'm trying to proclaim, and there's what death is trying to proclaim. And it seems like death has all the evidence, doesn't it? There's the casket. There's the body. There's the grievers. There's, we're, we're dressed in dark colors. There's tears being shed. Kleenexes are being passed around. It looks like death has all the victory. But because Jesus walked out of the tomb... And here's the last thing that we live in with Easter hope is this. Death does not get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And so I want you to look. What Paul describes in this, and it's almost easy to miss, what Paul describes here is he goes from the very first Easter to the final Easter that has our hope. Look with me. verse. um, We'll start in verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he's saying, look, if you're still alive, those that have fallen asleep, God's gonna, those that have already passed away, God's going to do something with them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. I would suggest that this is the noisiest verse in all of Scripture. A cry of command, the voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There is a resurrection coming for all those who are in Jesus. Your salvation is not some promise that you will be forever in eternity, some disembodied, 
vague spirit on a fluffy cloud somewhere. Because honestly, when we get right down to it, that sounds kind of boring, doesn't it? But the promise is that you will be resurrected just like Jesus. That's why Jesus' resurrection is called the first fruits of what God wants to do. Jesus, re- Jesus is resurrected, and it's God's declaration that death does not get the last word. It does not have the final say. This will be the final say. There is an Easter day coming when God, for all those that are in Christ, God will raise them. And here's the great news. You will be you. It will be you with your identity. Because God's in a relationship with you. He doesn't just end that relationship because you died. You are you. And you will have a resurrected body. And whatever your limitations are now, whatever your pain and your struggles and your your arthritis and your decay and everything else is now, you'll be whole in a way that you've never been whole before. I plan on dunking a basketball on that day. Because it'll be restored. And if you have anyone that you've loved and cared about and you've lost them because of a cancer or because of a dementia or whatever debilitating disease has afflicted them, they'll be whole in a way that you couldn't you can't even begin to imagine right now. They will have the body that God always intended them, the one that's free from the decay of the curse. And what strikes me about this verse is the first Easter when Jesus walks out of the tomb, nobody's there to see it. The final Easter, nobody's going to miss it. It will be loud and proud and pronounced. And it will come with a shout. And I don't know exactly what the cry and the command is, but I'm not going to be surprised if it's not rise and shine and live this way. See, death doesn't get the final word. I, I, I read a fascinating story about a lady in the Middle Ages named Greta Schmidt in Hanover, Germany. And she was a convicted atheist. And she did not buy into this idea of the resurrection. So she left, apparently she had some means, and she left instructions in her will that when she was to be buried, her tomb was to be sealed tight. And so she left instructions to be buried 15 feet down, covered in a, in a stone, concrete-type type casket or sarcophagus, Huge granite slabs laid on top of that. And then just to prove her point, the granite slabs are strapped down with iron. This is sealed up tight. And on it she had imprinted the words, this tomb must never be opened. Because she wanted her tomb to be the last word that the resurrection is not possible. You probably shouldn't dare God that way. When they're constructing this tomb and sealing it up, they were unaware that an acorn had fallen in to the tomb. 
and an oak tree began to grow. And over the years, as that oak tree grew, it created enough pressure on those granite slabs where they popped the iron straps and pushed them aside, and they call it the resurrection tree now in Hanover, Germany, in this cemetery. And in the middle of the tomb that should not be opened, life happened because the resurrection says death doesn't get the last word. So we may grieve, but we grieve with hope. And we don't need to fear death anymore because it doesn't get the last word. As I thought about this Easter day, I often think about one now eight years ago when in 2015 I lost my mom. And then just a few months after that as I'm still processing the grief, but grief with hope, I had an opportunity with Doug Wheeler and Dave and Donna Kelly and some others to travel to the Holy Lands. And one thing that I got to see in the Holy Lands was a picture of this tomb. This is known as the Garden Tomb. It sits right outside the, the walls of the old city. Now, I don't know whether this was the tomb, the actual tomb or not. But I've got to tell you, it was a profound experience to sit in front of this empty tomb shortly after my mother had passed away. As I'm processing in grief in this moment, I can remember God placing this 1 Thessalonians 4 verse, that the dead shall rise, that there's another Easter day coming, and because of that, we have hope and we need not fear. There is an empty tomb. The one whose occupant only borrowed it for three days. And there is a final Easter coming where God's going to shout to the world and all of his believers, all of those that have put their faith and confidence not in Rome, not in the United States, not in some political party, not in some financial standing, not in some sort of status, but have put their confidence in the empty tomb. We'll hear him say, rise and shine. So if you would, stand with me, please. We pray a blessing over us, and then we will sing a song as an anthem to this truth. Father, I pray for all those, for all of us as we hear this message on this Easter day and we look forward to the final Easter day when you come with a shout and a command. Father, between now and then, let us live with Easter hope, Easter power. And even when we grieve, we know that we grieve as people with hope and a confidence that we will see soon. Father, I pray that for anyone that's hearing this message and they're maybe in a season where they are confronted with their own mortality and perhaps their own death in a way that you would bring the Easter message so close 
that death need not be feared any more than a nap. And then you would tell us that, East, that death does not get the final word, but Jesus does. And so, Father, between now and that ultimate Easter, will you help us to live as people that rise and shine? It's the name of the one that walked out of a tomb, defeating death to declare the King of kings, the Lord of lords. In a resurrected body to never taste death again. In the name of Jesus we pray this. And now we sing this to your glory. Amen.